Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God and Independent RPG Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. The humidity is really, really, really getting to me, so I'm probably going to bite everyone today. Hmm. Also joining me is my equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. I have something to confess. I, I'm a guile main now. I, I you, have, you filthy bugger. Every guile main, like I... I, I appreciate that. I am a Galmain myself, so we're I, good. We're good. We're I, just, I want, we're just damned, I want to that's hold all. down back. I just want to hold down back in yeah, the corner. Yeah, it feels good, right? <laughs> no time he confessed. Confession's good for the soul, man. And we have a special guest for our very first segment. Would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Moonblaze Wolf. You can call me Blaze. And uh, I am currently at GDQ. Uh, it is finale day, uh, and I was asked to come on the podcast because I ran uh, Chained Echoes at the event on Tuesday morning. Awesome. That's right. We're going to be talking to Blaze, and we're also going to be doing our big RPG summer preview. So we look ahead to a whole load of amazing RPGs from Diablo 4 to Baldur's Gate 3 and everything in between. But before we get to that, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a, re- a uh, review on the podcatcher of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, uh, at Nadia's at Nadia Oxford, and Eric is at Seamoosie, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to our Discord and also get the podcast ad-free. And our Discord is a great place to hang out. And for example, talk about games done quick. You'll be able to vote in our Pantheon of the Blood God. And we have a very wholesome community here full of people like Blaze who, are, you know, it's just, it's just fun. It's a good time. And of course, you can shop at shop.bloodgodpod.com. Um, and if you go up in a higher tiers, you get access to lots of bonus content, including the Pantheon of the Blood God. Just uh, this past week, we released our Final Fantasy V Pantheon with special guest Henry Gilbert from Talking Simpsons. And that was a very fun, very chill episode talking about grinding and job systems and being a little silly as befits a Final Fantasy V podcast. Right, Nadia? Apparently there was a popular line and I completely, every time I remember it, I laugh. I don't remember who said it. It might have been Henry, but... Uh... 
describing Kafka saying, I'm a clown. I don't believe in shit. And that just, every time I think of that, I lose it. That, that sounds like a lot like of fantasy. No, that wasn't me. That was too funny no. to be me. That's a, that's a total, that's a great, that's Final Fantasy VI in a nutshell. You got to claim credit, Nadia. This coming week, we are going to be wrapping up uh, book one of the Summer of Korra. And we've got lots more content coming your way. Okay. Let's start out with a little bit of a side quest. We brought on Blaze because they just ran Chained Echoes over at GDQ. And it sounds like Axe of the Blood God got a shout out on the actual stream. Is that correct, Blaze? Uh, so I kind of found out after the fact that um, one of the donation volunteers was trying to like figure out what Axe of the Blood God was because somebody <laughs> put it in a donation uh. comment. Um, and yeah, that's they nice. Yeah, they get taught to um, screen those, uh, and they were just trying to basically just figure out what it was. Uh, but it was really funny uh, in kind of like my post-game uh, cool-down time where you're kind of just like reflecting and taking it all in um, to go back through some of what was going on in the event Discord during my run, and that was one of the things that uh, jumped out at me, and it just made me chuckle. Um, the Actually, I do have to also give a shout out to Eric because your Destructoid review of Chained Echoes was the reason I heard about the game in the first place. Oh, sweet. I, I love to set things in motion without knowing it, you know? <laughs> I love to do this. That's awesome, though. I'm, I'm happy cool. you got into it. Was So was that your first speedrun game? Was you just decided that Chained Echoes was going to be something that you wanted to, to speedrun? Or had you been running before that? Uh, so I've been speedrunning for probably about four or five years now, um, but this was my first run at a Games Done Quick event. And mm. uh, especially for RPGs, uh, Games Done Quick is a little bit more particular about what kinds of RPG speedruns they yeah. accept. Mm. Uh, so the nice thing about finding out about Chained Echoes when I did is I was able to kind of get in on the ground floor, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, kind of got in there just as the game had launched, uh, there was another person in the discord for the, for the game itself who was doing glitch hunting and honestly just like found a bunch of stuff within like the first week and then, uh, was able to kind of take it from there, uh, put a good uh, route together, uh, refine it with other members of the community. And then, um, when I went to submit it, I've submitted a GDQ before, but I've never got anything in. Um, hmm. But I was kind of looking at the submission. I was like, okay, it's an RPG speedrun. It's like an indie darling kind of game. They love to feature new games if possible. It's under an hour. It's glitchy AF. And I was just like, I think this has a really good chance. So it was very cool to get the get the run in. Um, and it was really satisfying to actually do the run on the big stage because that is really unlike anything I've ever experienced before. What was it like being on stage? Um, I, so I've done live marathons before, uh, I've run a bunch of different RPGs in the past. Um, but I have done, um, a couple months ago, I did a run of final fantasy 10 with the cutscene remover, uh, mm, at, a, nice. at a different mm. smaller live event. So, um, I I'm pretty comfortable kind of being on stage and being in front of like a camera, um, and doing the whole, uh, speed run marathon thing. But, there's just something about GDQ. Um, there really isn't anything like it. And it's really hard to describe to somebody if they haven't actually been in the room before. Uh, it is a big stage. Uh, there's like six different stations set up. Uh, there's big lights pointed at you. There's cameras pointed at you. There is a 
big audience. There's probably like a thousand chairs in the room or something yeah. like that. So um, I know the way it gets shot for the stream. It doesn't always uh, capture the scope of it all, but um, it's actually one of the reasons that I'm so happy that live speedrunning events are back after COVID is because yeah. um, simply mm -hmm. put, there's just nothing like being in the room. So it must be nerve wracking because you're trying to pull off, you know, a, a lot of glitches, a lot of special moves to be able to do a speed run. You kind of have to play perfectly. I've seen many instances in which a speed runner just is like they make a mistake and then those mistakes keep compounding. Mm. So yeah. how do you keep your cool as you're uh, speed running, especially a game like Chain Echoes? I was watching some of the VOD and you're like doing these glitches. You're flying <laughs> across the stage and that kind of thing. It's crazy. Yeah. So I actually did screw up the first glitch of the run. Um, if, if you watch it back, the, the very first time I go out of bounds, I have to do it blind because I don't have the fast travel yet. Mm. So there's this there's this part where when you first get lens prologue underway, um, I have to game over and then do a blind run on a black screen to the transition zone to the next screen. And I have the steps in my head, like, you know, count this many, this many and so on. Um, I felt like I did it exactly like I always did during practice and I did not pop out where I thought I was yeah. supposed to. <laughs> So that was definitely a little nerve wracking. Um, and it was one of those things where it probably felt like about five minutes in my head, just kind of flailing around trying to hit yeah. the loading screen that I needed. Mm. But in reality, it was probably only like 15 to 20 seconds. And But it feels um, like an eternity. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, I mean, if I can't if I can't recover this, I probably need to just like start over or something mm. like mm -hmm. I, I the game has an autosave system. So I don't really oh, do like yeah. safety saves or anything like that. But but that one is definitely, I knew that was a potential issue going in. So I, I, once I got through that, everything else was fine. But yeah, I mean, it can compound if you're not ready. Um, I was very grateful that my practice going into the event, the event had been very consistent. And I knew I had a lot of extra time uh, to make mistakes. Uh, and I wasn't too worried about making a little mistake here or there. Because really the point of it when you're at GDQ is you're not trying to get world record. You're not trying to right. get a personal best. Which I you're, like about it. Yeah, you're just trying to show off the game and show off mm -hmm. the run. And um, it's honestly about getting the giving the game the time in the spotlight. At least for me, it's not really about me. Um, and I'm just kind of happy to be there to sort of demonstrate what you can do with a with an excellent game like Chained Echoes. Mm -hmm. It feels like speedrunning almost feels like doing math. Like, I don't know, does this correlate in my head? What about you? Like, is it just is it like a puzzle? Is it? Art, is it art? I don't know. I don't have the mindset for speedrunning, so I'm very fascinated. Is speedrunning art? You're basically, it can be. Why not? You're bug testing, right? Because you're trying to find all the glitches. And whereas QA testers and such are trying to fix the bugs, uh, speedrunners are just trying to exploit them to the absolute hilt. And you're consistently reproducing the bugs. Yep. And uh, that, that's, that, that takes a lot of skill, I have to say. So... I don't know. It's uh, it's problem solving. You, I think you have to have a technical mindset. Is that, oh, that's is that probably fair to say, please? <laughs> I, absolutely. I think um, it really depends on the run, too, and the style mm -hmm. of runner. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough for me, um, I typically don't do the glitch heavy runs because I am much more like a uh, I appreciate when it's not the same every time. And it is, there is a little bit of variance in RNG. I know that's like a joke about speedrunners is that we hate RNG, but 
Um, I started out my speedrunning journey playing randomizers. Um, so the Final Fantasy IV randomizer was actually kind of like my gateway into speedrunning. And uh, I like to use an analogy for sort of Magic the Gathering. Um, when you have a RNG heavy run or something like a randomizer, that's kind of like doing a booster draft and it's going to be different every time. Um, and you just have to be flexible. You just have to roll with whatever the game gives you and sort of know ideally what you'd like to do, but be willing to like be flexible if you don't get it. Um, and then speedruns like the Chained Echoes run are like completely scripted from beginning to end. And so there's very little opportunity for variance there. You're just sort of uh, running through the script like you were sort of uh, talking about a second ago. So it really just depends on the mindset. Some people can do both. Some people really struggle with one versus the other. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I would say... I enjoyed this particular run and the glitches because first of all, the glitches are super funny when you see them on the screen. They're actually just like hilarious to me. Um, and I guess the other thing is I felt a lot of ownership over the route because I personally worked on it so much and right. that was very satisfying mm. for me. Yeah, speedrunners kind of, they almost layer on top of each other's strategies. Like someone finds one way and then someone improves upon that and just like world records are broken the next day practically. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened with this as well. Um, we had a, several different people that were kind of finding new things or proposing new ideas, and I was just trying to kind of incorporate them into the way that seemed the most ideal and also the safest for the event, because uh, you have to be able to finish the run. Um, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you have to have a certain amount of safety in there. So, so yeah, it was absolutely a community effort, but I, the route that I ended up with I truly felt like mine, um, and I think that that really helped out a lot for um, my enjoyment of the run, I guess I would say. That's cool. What, what do you find is like, you, you said you've run other games and, and I'm somewhat familiar with how the 10 route goes for speed running. Cause I, I had seen the GDQ one from a while back and got really interested in that was doing some reading on it. Like, what do you think is the biggest difference between other stuff that you've run and the chain decos run specifically? Like, is there a very notable difference in what you do um, compared to like 10, which feels a lot more like, understanding the systems and trying to optimize and just get through with like what you can do and then exploit a lot of the, the, the caveats they have in the system of that game. Is it kind of the same with chain decos or, or is there a little bit of, of a different vibe? I, I think more or less they're the same. Um, they're kind of on different vectors perhaps, but you're, you're really just trying to execute on the route that you've put together for yourself. And mm -hmm. um, the final fantasy 10 run is especially the, the cutscene remover version, which is what I typically do, is essentially a glitchless run. So it's not mm. really, um, it's not really super execution heavy. I would say it does kind of reward a lot of knowledge and being able to sort of improvise and be flexible. Um, I would say for Chained Echoes, the glitches were super easy to do. Um, mm. I've done, I've tried to learn runs where you have to like clip through walls and clip through corners and get out of bounds in very like frame perfect ways. And I'm frankly terrible at stuff like that. Mm. So <laughs> the, the main way that you execute the glitches in Chained Echoes is just opening and closing the menu, which is definitely much more my speed. Mm. <laughs> yeah, some mm. glitches, uh, some glitch exploitations for runs seem really scary. And I watch him and I'm just like, oh, my God, if he like screws this up, his run is over. And so my heart stops. But I don't know how people keep their cool. I really admire the people who not only are they running the game, but just like narrating the whole thing. Like da, 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 like they sound like an auctioneer. It's a sonic speedrunner like that. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, that kind of, it's just like, how are you doing that, man? That's your brain is like in four quarters or something. You're just going <laughs> for, for the fourth dimension. Uh, yeah. What I'm impressed by is uh Chained Echoes is, you know, 
probably about 33 hours in an initial run. So you got to finish the game and then you have to keep playing through it to find all of the glitches. And I'm sure that you're on a, a discord or something like that, Blaze. You're working with the community. You're all collaborating to find different glitches. But like, how many times have you finished this game since it came out like late last year? So the funny thing is, um, I was actually doing my casual playthrough when all the glitches were getting found for the speedrun, and um, I, I think everybody's played Chain Echoes uh, here on the mm-hmm. on the show. And the reward board is like such a tempting sort of thing; like you can kind of just get lost in it if you're playing mm-hmm. the game casually. And I had a stretch of time in my casual playthrough. I was either at the end of Act 2 or the end of Act 3. I can't remember. But I was just like, I want to run around and do everything on the reward board before I go finish the game. Like, I yeah. want to kind of savor this. Um, but I was also trying to learn the speedrun at the same time because there was something about that that felt so- sort of um, maybe time sensitive uh, in terms of getting it together, getting practice, and then being able to get something uh, together for like a, a GDQ submission. So I actually did like initially start doing the speed run before I had finished the game casually. Um, so, uh, and I normally wouldn't do stuff like that because I agree, like you do really want to go through the game and kind of understand the game. Um, thankfully, there were other people in the community that knew and had had more experience with the end game on a casual level that could kind of weigh in on stuff like that. And I was just kind of um, working with the stuff that I knew and the stuff that uh, they had kind of put out there as strategies that they thought were good to uh, work on the speed run. But then I did go back and finish the game casually and it was, you know, it was, it, it did not ruin the experience in any way. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, what did you think of GDQ overall? Uh, are there any speed runs that you've particularly enjoyed? Yeah, so um, I've been uh, in the stream room a lot because uh, I've been volunteering and helping out backstage in addition to doing my run. So uh, there have been some fantastic, fantastic runs. Um, boy, it's hard for me to think back to the beginning of the week. It feels like I've been here forever. Um, but uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, Sure Shot last night uh, by Shoju, mm. which is a mm-hmm. Kaizo ROM hack. Uh, also had a fantastic couch on hand for that one. Um, I was also on commentary for, uh, loom on, uh, Monday morning with my friend, uh, Ella Motas. Uh, I've also, uh, ran, I also run loom, uh, and that was one of my, my early games that I learned as kind of a, a fun little challenge for myself, but, uh, it was amazing to, uh, see Ella Motas, uh, get to do that run at GDQ. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also uh, Signalis on uh, Wednesday yeah. morning with Drusifer because when I was looking at games that I thought might be fun to learn for GDQ, Signalis was also on my shortlist because mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. an incredible game. Um, if I had to pick one run that people maybe should check out if they didn't get a chance, uh, I love the Silent Hill Home Pour run that Schmumbler oh, did. Oh, that was so crazy. That was really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I missed uh, that. I have to go look that up. Yeah, so for those who don't know... Um, that is uh, Silent Hill Downpour, but Downpour has like an hour or something worth of mandatory cutscenes. So way back in the day, one of the Silent Hill runners had the idea to play Silent Hill Homecoming during the cutscenes. And so it's just this own thing now where you you play Downpour and then you do a speedrun. It's like a speedrun inside a speedrun. It's, it's really like the cool. Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Everyone's speedrunning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Pokemon Coliseum run that was happening yesterday, the race. 
because I haven't thought about that game in years. And it's fun to suddenly have a, a game that you haven't thought about in a year in years, mm-hmm. but you played a lot of uh, to give you a whole bunch of nostalgia during GDQ. I also really enjoyed the Sonic Adventure uh, speed run. Mm-hmm. Those are always good speed runs. Yeah, that was there were so many vibes. Great couch, uh, a lot of excitement there. And uh, if there's one thing that stands out to me about GDQ, and you can probably speak to this as well, Blaze. It's a sense of, it's sort of a the, the Super Bowl for speedrunning communities. All of these communities show up and are show, sending their reps. And it's such a great opportunity for these incredibly niche communities that you would never otherwise know about. Like the Sonic Adventure speedrunning community or the Luigi's Mansion speedrunning community. Uh, getting their time to shine, so to speak. And it's, it's delightful to watch them uh, shouting each other out. For sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, you will have people that will show up to GDQ to do their run and you find out that they've been speedrunning this game for 10 years and they're one of like three people that does it and it's just like their <laughs> yeah. passion project in life. And um, it's so satisfying to see somebody like that get rewarded for all the time that they put in. So I love, yeah, yeah like shout out to people who, who speedrun the crappy ass games. Like those are the ones that are always the most fun to watch. Like, oh boy, virtual highlight. And I know a lot of people actually run that, but oh, still, yeah. it's just an example yeah. of like, oh, here's this crummy ass game that like got, had like maybe five sales back in the day. Now it's a legend. It's a legend in its own right. Are you involved with the RPG Limit Break community, Blaze? Uh, I am a volunteer for them as well. Yep. And I've, uh, I'm going to the event later on this summer. It'll be my second RPG limit break. And yeah, I definitely have a lot of friends over there. I, I, we've never done a proper RPG speed running episode. So I'd love to do that at some point, but, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm curious just at a very high level, what separates speed running and RPG from a lot of other games? Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're, I think that anytime you have someone who is a speedrunner, they are just enjoying something that they love. Um, so kind of in the way that it's almost like you have Acts of the Blood God as an RPG podcast versus other more general uh, video game mm. podcasts. The ones that suck. Joking. <laughs> Everyone's great. Thank you. It's such an involved genre that I, I think that it's easy to do a podcast diving into it because RPG fans are definitely a special breed. By the way, I just threw on GDQ and right now Final Fantasy IV Pixel Remaster is being played, which might explain uh, why there aren't, that, aren't that. that many people in the Stars of Destiny chat. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think it's been nice over the past couple of years seeing GDQ kind of open up more to, to RPG runs because I feel like for for a long time, I kind of associated GDQ with, you know, Zelda, Metroid, Mario, like kind of the the games you would always see speed run. And there were RPG runs, but it was always like, oh, they're so long. And, you know, they 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 take so much involved. But uh, as as the years have gone on, it's felt like they have opened up a little bit more. And especially some of the the blocks they've done where they have like a seven, eight hour run of you know Final Fantasy seven or whatever they they're a little bit more willing to showcase that stuff and and get that stuff in front of people to show a different side of, of speed running. I've really appreciated that. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. But Cal L literally did. A, oh, my God, I forgot the game. And <laughs> they heard about Final <laughs> Fantasy four being run when they have a Kane Highwind icon, by the way. Which makes uh-huh, it even better. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, I forgot the game. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, Sorry. I com- I no, I completely agree with um with everything you're saying. I think that RPGs sort of exist at this really interesting cross section for something like GDQ, where mm-hmm. they have unbelievably passionate communities because these games mean so much to people. Um, Final Fantasy IV is like a perfect example. That's like the first mainline RPG that I ever really got into, and mm-hmm. that that is the one game that made me like an RPG fan. Um. But RPG speedruns tend to be long, so you know you can only commit a certain amount of the schedule to that. And unless you have something like RPG Limit Break, where it is all RPGs, um, mm. it can be really difficult for an event like GDQ to give a lot of time uh, to the genre. But I agree with you, Eric. I think they've been doing a really good job for the past few events. Um, they've always seemed like they managed to get one or two RPGs on per day. Um, and they're also willing to take stuff like Chained Echoes that's a little bit more off the beaten path, a little more indie or maybe a little bit lesser known um, to kind of give exposure to these games and these speedruns that uh, they think are are worthy of the big stage. And I just think that's so cool. Yeah, the tough thing about RPGs on a speedrunning uh, setup is that, as you mentioned, they're quite long. So you, I mean, Chained Echoes, you can finish in under an hour, but uh, Final Fantasy IV Pixel Remaster is like three hours. And then there's the fact that often a lot of these turn-based RPGs in particular are just running running a lot. <laughs> yeah. Which so doesn't yeah. make for the best viewing. I mean, Pokemon is too. And I feel like Pokemon mm. was was getting spotlights a lot. And so maybe it is also that level of like, you know, are people going to be interested in this? And I think that runs like Chained Echoes and others have shown that like, yes, this is like a genuinely interesting genre that, that people can get really into. So I'm glad they're folks like you blaze out there spotlighting this for people. Yeah. Thank you. And I, it's been so nice just to hear how much uh, people enjoyed the run because it really meant a lot to me to be able to show the game off um, for the developers and the community, as well as to kind of represent RPG speedruns at GDQ. And um, it's, it's a great game. I'm just so mm-hmm. glad that so many people know about it now. Yeah, Congratulations. Well, Hey, go check out Moonblaze Wolf's run of chained echoes over on Games Done Quick. Thanks so much for repping the podcast on SGDQ. And hey, I hope you're enjoying my hometown, my homeland of, uh, of Minnesota, uh, which is also the home of GDQ at this very moment. So <laughs> yeah, it's my hometown as well, actually. So, Excellent. Uh, oh, heck yeah. Nice. But yeah, Another no, thank Minnesota you so much. School. Yeah, uh, I grew up in St. Paul and uh, right it's, it's always nice to be back. It still feels like home, so. Very good. All right. Moonblaze Wolf, thanks for being on the show. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, You can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Microsoft is teasing a Fable reveal at its showcase. I'm looking forward to finally seeing this one. It's being made by Playground Games, which... uh, I don't want to say they have a lot to prove, but Playground Games has historically been very good with the Forza Horizon series, and I hope that translates 
to Fable, uh, ideally with a lot less microtransactions and annoying um, online hooks. Yes, please. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is progressing. The team is working on nailing down a release date. It's still scheduled for late 2023. Good luck with that. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> Two Final Fantasies in one year? Nobody can live at that speed. Diablo 4's first hotfixes are live. Expect nerfs to the Sorcerer and Rogue classes. People Make Games have published a titanic two-and-a-half-hour video about the conflict between Disco Elysium devs, its corporate parents, and the devs of Za'um caught in the middle. Uh, make a note of this, Eric. We need to get the uh, People Make Games folks on the pod so that we can talk about what the heck has been going on with Disco Elysium. Oh, yeah, it's been crazy. that'll be easy. That, that, that won't be hard at all. We can do that. Yeah. Excellent. RGG Studio has announced a stream for June. Another stream. Are you Yay. ready? Let's go. The Witcher 3 has sold 50 million copies with the entire trilogy at over 75 million. That's crazy. And The Witcher 3, of course, was on our top 25 RPGs of all time. So well-deserved. And finally, Yuji Naka got a prison sentence for insider trading. This is from Eric. I cannot truly cannot believe this is happening. Why are we not talking more? Wait, Yuji Naga's in jail. And pardon me? No, not in jail. Has a prison sentence. I don't. I don't know if he's in yeah. jail yet. But just think on that sentence for a little bit. Yuji Naga <laughs> got a prison sentence for insider trading. It's I a beautiful it. sentence. It's... I love delivering news like this to my normie family and friends on Facebook because they know who Sonic the Hedgehog is. So I can say, hey, everyone, the guy who made Sonic the Hedgehog is in jail. And I was... know this knowledge. <laughs> I am a keeper of this knowledge. It was like the time I had to explain to my dad the whole thing about Randy Pitchford and the flash drive. And oh, I was like, oh, drive. boy, <laughs> I get to explain this story. When there was that un- very unfortunate, terrible incident where that guy hit like 12 people in Young Street on Toronto. Uh, my mom called me up the day and said, what's an incel? I'm like, oh, oh no. Jesus, Mary, mother of God. Uh, Welcome back to 2016, everybody. Let's talk about incels. Um, Yuji Naka will be in prison for two and a half years. So. Oh, my God. That's a long time to be in prison. That is a long time. You think two and a half years, that's getting off light. But then think about what it would actually be like to be in prison for two and a half years. I mean, we've all played Yakuza like a dragon. He's, yeah. He's going to bust in prison out. for 20 years. He's gonna he's gonna, bust. He's gonna bust out and then make the hardest sequel to Battle you've ever seen. Oh my gosh. He goes skateboarding down railings as the cops chase him. I'm sorry, we shouldn't be making fun of this, but Balan I can't. Get prison land. <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for him actually, but I do. I don't I don't know what the story is with like what actually went on with the insider trading. I don't know anything about that, but I just picture him breaking out with woo, I'll rolling around just that. It's not playing in my head. Hey, you committed low-level financial crimes, and that's just not okay. You're going to prison. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. You don't steal rich people's money. It just that's isn't true. done. You can do mm-hmm. anything steal else other you people's want, but... money, but not rich yeah. people. Steal mm-hmm. from the poor, and you're okay. Steal from the rich, uh, can't do it. But our main quest is the big summer RPG preview. This is one of the most stacked summers that I can recall in a very long time. And we're going to be talking through several of the releases that you can be looking forward to as the summer progresses. We're not even going to talk about Starfield, which is not technically during the summer. It's coming out during the fall. That just tells you how stacked the next few months are going to be. And it all begins with, drum roll please, 
Etrian Odyssey Origins Collection, a collection of the first three games for Switch and PC that's out now. Came out on June 1st. And you know what I'm not buying? That collection. Yeah. I, I have too much to play. I would, but I have too much to play. I've got Etrian Odyssey 5 on my Nintendo 3DS, and frankly, I'm okay. I'm happy. This is a game that deserves to live on the Nintendo 3DS. IMO, Etrian Odyssey 5, is the best of them. And I... I'm grateful and appreciative of the effort put into getting these games onto PC, onto Nintendo Switch. And I'm glad that they've spent some time rethinking of this. I'm hopeful that this means that an Etrian Odyssey 6 can exist. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. personally speaking, I have a lot of games to play right now. So it's not the best time for me to be playing Etrian Odyssey 1, 2, and 3. It's also like, the the cost of it has been a much talked about factor and i think the like 80 dollars yeah it's it's a it's an expensive game at a time when like games are already kind of jumping up in price like i just i just put down a lot of money to play street fighter 5 and have the character pass or street i sure did too i put like 85 dollars down yeah yeah and then like now i'm looking at diablo and thinking like "Mm, maybe and then 16s later in the month and it's just really hard to look at a game like that and, and you know, immediately I go like, uh, maybe on a sale one day or something like exactly. that. Exactly. It'll be um, like a great game to go back to when the weather's a little bit cooler and it needs something mm-hmm. to kind of calm my nerves and it's that kind of game. But uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, I would love to see, as you said, Kat, uh, maybe four and five brought on to the Switch because I think four was my first or five was my first. But either way, like I would like to play one of those again. I'm hopeful. Uh, mostly, I hope this does okay because I would love for an Etrian Odyssey 5 or an Etrian Odyssey 6. I, I want the series to continue. I don't want it to necessarily yeah. be locked mm. on to mm-hmm. the Nintendo 3DS. But from my personal standpoint, uh, I would rather play just play 5 on the 3DS. Having said that, it's it's not what you would call a lazy port. They figured out a lot of... They did a lot of work to make the controls work pretty well on the Nintendo Switch and the PC. Um, And they also rebalanced uh, all three games. And I think they redid the graphics as well. So it's they're in a, in a sense, they're almost like remakes of the original three games. And I appreciate the amount of work that they went, that went into it. And that's generally speaking, a pretty niche title. Um, F O E F O E F O E F O E The paladin is dead. Yep. That's me. Moving on. So this is interesting, and I almost want to do a review of this on the show. Street Fighter VI, first blush, mm-hmm. not primarily an RPG. However, however, there is that however. However, the world tour mode is basically Yakuza. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It has uh, encounters, a world map encounters in which you fight against people. Um, the, the vibe, uh, like your character levels up and learns new skills, and the vibe is so kind of uh, in that cross-section between Yakuza and true RPGs. It's actually quite remarkable what they did and very ambitious. It reminds, really good. it reminds me of like the Mario sports games when they were trying to do some of those RPG story modes like Mario Tennis, I think, had one. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily all that incredible or interesting i don't think it's like groundbreakingly good but it is something and it's something that i feel like capcom can put up and and it will feel like it can compete versus you know like obviously the the high bar for 
uh, fighting game story modes these days is with Netherrealm. Like they, yeah. they make the big fighting game story modes that people buy Mortal Kombat Injustice just to play the stories. Uh, so Capcom kind of went the other way and said, what if we just make the wildest, wackiest character creator you've ever seen? Uh, the most monster factory thing we can create. And then <laughs> final uh, Pam lives. Yeah. And then we have this mode where you like social link with the street fighters and learn to do the spinning bird kick. So you can use it in the real world to knock down signs and stuff like that. And that's cool. It works. It's goofy. It's fun. Um, I don't know that it's worth buying the game for by itself, but it certainly doesn't hurt. So um yeah, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it because I'd rather just be fighting online with friends. But uh, it's cool that they did that. And it was a, a neat idea, a, like a clever way of rethinking the fighting game story mode and and not trying to do another Street Fighter Five story mode was not good. Like, yeah, any, I was watching I, a, a video of that. It looked really bad. I saw someone try to defend it online and I rebuffed that. I played that story mode. It was not good. It, it, no. it wasn't worth waiting for. I'm sorry. It just wasn't no, good. Was, the, the animation was terrible. It was written badly. Yeah, it was just... Uh, I, I do want to have social links with Street Fighters. Though. Like, I really want to be friends with Cammy. Mm-hmm. And like he, she, she's so moody and she has cats. The the smart thing they did, and I've been seeing some of this as people have been posting about it, but like you can text with the, the Street Fighters. So like Chun-Li has this whole thing about, oh, she's she talks about needing to um, watch her figure uh specifically so that when she's spinning bird kicks she doesn't hit her head when she like goes upside <laughs> down <laughs> and i was like that's very funny um but cammy does has this whole thing about oh i watched the read receipts and if i don't get a read receipt on a text message within 10 minutes i assume something is wrong and it's it's doing those little like we've talked about this before on the pod with other games that when you have those little character asides those little moments of character information mm-hmm. it adds so much to them and making all the street fighters just a little bit quirkier a little bit more human like still very much you know larger than life caricatures as they all are as as all fighting game characters are but but having those little moments of like relatability and, and especially in like a text message form works super well and uh i honestly i have said this before i badly want capcom to do some sort of like mario sports style game there was there was a promo image that was going around on twitter that was for like some volleyball competition or something but capcom had like art for it that had a bunch of the different characters like leon and chun Li and like mega man all kind of like teeing up and spiking and stuff like that and i was sitting there and i was like this would be such a good video game can you imagine like a a sports game that was here's a Capcom volleyball and you've got all the different characters, you you know, you can make your squad of doubles. That's like Leon and Mega Man and you're playing, you're just volleyball. It's a good like Mario sports type game. I would give us, they did give us Mega Man soccer back in the day. Exactly. That's (laughs) what I'm saying. Capcom, you are riding high. Capcom has never been in a better position, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I've never seen Mega Man. They're on such a run, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you're bringing back Dragon's Dogma. You've got all these games doing incredibly successful. Bring back Breath of Fire. That's number one. But number two, capitalize on this get this like game where you could have you know all these characters interacting and having fun you know it's, it'll work least, you got an incredible us- stable of characters yeah, mm-hmm. any opportunity to dust off mega man this is it 
You I, have I Mega Man forget. X. Please do something with Mega Man X. Thank you. Uh, get <laughs> Phoenix Wright in there. Get him playing volleyball. It'd be great. The ba- a, ball lands on Capcom, his head somehow, it'll, it'll deflate. Does Capcom have the greatest stable of characters not named Nintendo? They're up I'm there. actually curious. I, I like the Capcom stable of characters more than I like PlayStation or Xbox, for sure. Yeah, for um, sure, 100%. Oh, yeah, I mean, I would have much rather played Smash Brothers, but with Capcom characters than PlayStation, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale, where they're like, uh, here's Nathan Drake and Kratos and Sackboy. <laughs> the the Marvel versus Capcom series really like reinforces this. Is that like yes, there there's an entire stable of Capcom characters that are very good. Granted, like Marvel characters, specifically the X Men, usually are, are the ones that people remember from MVC. But even just Capcom versus SNK, Capcom versus SNK two, one of the best fighting games ever made. Uh shows off like how many incredible characters they've got even if you just stick to like the street fighter side and like the yeah. the the beat em up side of that stuff Strider. you still get incredible good stuff yeah there is like a whole interlinked universe that they have that i really enjoy like the whole street fighter and final fight being one and the same like cuz they were developed together and one was the other for a while and just they never cody let go of Wen. that cody mm-hmm. when yeah put him really in the game in this game you I don't think cody. it's coming i want mayor cody i want mm-hmm. mayor cody 100% and all his I'm trash turning- bag uniforms. Because he could really, like, he could get it in his prison stuff and all that. Like, his, uh, his prison uniform from Final Fight. Was it the, the terrible one that they did? Ha-ha. Um, Ha-ha. Um, I started playing Street Fighter Six this morning. And I was just playing casual matches and getting absolutely rolled. And, I, yeah. like, almost, almost, almost casually. The people were just kind of, like, beating me. Without even trying that hard, I was like, "Whoa, crazy!" No, no, I'm I'm putting this on the pod. All right, Cat is sharking you right now because I was told over the weekend, friend of the show, Michael Hyam, informed me that Cat Bailey went to go play Street Fighter with some people, did the whole "Oh, I'm not very good," and kicked everyone's ass. Do that not be out here sharking people. <laughs> My a father black, always uh, said, watch out for the people who say, oh, I play guitar a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am good. Uh, it was mm-hmm. we had some uh, we had some fun matches and it almost made me want to get a, a fight stick. Hey, I have a long history with Street Fighter and have a lot of affection for it. But mm-hmm. At the same time, the competitive community is at such a level that I feel frequently totally overwhelmed. But I would love to play against you, Eric. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, oh, I've. I've heard we may have opportunities to do that next week. Are so we going to do a if, tournament? Oh man! If that if that happens, oh shit! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe it's I Eric join and in. I are going to be in LA at the same time. Oh, mm-hmm. that's right. So mm-hmm. I, mean, yeah. I couldn't join in if I wanted to. Oh. Well, so we're planning the the forthcoming Blood God Charity stream, and I think a uh, Street Fighter SF6, Six tournament. Let's go! Yeah, yeah. yeah get a sure. lobby going for sure. Heck um, yeah! Yeah, I'm yeah. in. I need to practice. I need. I might finally pick up Chun Li after all these years because I want to guy. She's really good. She's really yeah. good. Uh, but I have to learn her style. I've never really vibed with her style, particularly I'm a Ken main. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of opportunities. I also like Jury. Um, Jury and is I good. like mm-hmm. I uh, like the Wind Girl. Oh, um, she's kind of like T Hawk. I don't a remember bit, except her. she goes up rather than Lily. Down. Lily, yeah, Lily. Yeah. I want. I was doing okay with Lily when I was playing on the fight stick, but I can't play with her on the controller that well. Oh, question about Lily. Like, is she part of like T Hawk's uh, family? I-, I can't remember. 
I can't remember. I have no idea. Yeah, I I don't know what the lore of any of the new characters is. The new characters, I don't know lore so Uh, well. Teep says that uh, Lily is part of T-Hawk's tribe. I'm wondering. I I, I played Street Fighter Alpha 3. She goes up rather than down. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the difference. I I was playing Street Fighter Alpha 3, and I remember her being mentioned, but as a long time ago. So Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember. Well, returning to the RPG aspect of it, I was thinking about like, well, Street Fighter Six would make an amazing turn-based RPG, but it makes sense for Street Fighter Six, a fighting game that has historically been about action, to be mm. more of an action kind of setup. And it's really delightful to see this, frankly, very ambitious um, and fully realized and fully fleshed out kind of single-player mode happening in Street Fighter Six. Yes, mm-hmm. it doesn't look as good as the main fighting stuff. Certainly a bit jankier, certainly much lower fidelity, but it maintains its frame rate and it's fun to run around in the streets and fight random, fight basically anybody there. (laughs) Like just all the NPCs just run up to them and punch them in the face. Hey, (laughs) let's fight. That's fighting words. This mode could have been a total disaster and it's actually pretty well executed. So Mm -hmm. fair play to Mm -hmm. you, Capcom. I I'm literally sitting here thinking, God, I could be playing Street Fighter Six right now. Holy shit! Hey, look, uh, lobby's going up tonight. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you going to be playing tonight, Eric? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, no, I, might, I I might jump in and play a little with you then. Fellow friend of the show, Kenneth Shepard, I think has not stopped playing Street Fighter Six since it dropped into his hands. Uh, that man is determined uh, to play the smoothest, most calculated Ryu I have ever seen in my life. Uh, it is terrifying, but uh, I have been taking sets off him. So, is there a secret Discord that I'm not aware of uh, where you're oh, all playing Street we'll, Fighter Six? We'll, you know, we'll we'll let you know. We'll, we'll loop you in a little bit. There's all yeah. these all these secret communities that I'm only just mm-hmm. finding out. Abby of the Moon's like how quickly y'all moved on from Zelda. Lol. Uh, it, we are an embarrassment of riches right now. For yeah, video games. I, I'm still playing the the shit out of Zelda. Don't worry about that. Oh yeah, I I'm in the uh, Fire Temple now, so. That's definitely a priority for me to finish, but we've hit a crazy time for releases, and that's on top of Summer Game Fest. So, um, And on that note, probably one of the craziest releases, Diablo 4 will exit early access and arrive in full release on June 6th. Diablo 4 has been anticipated for several years now. A big opportunity for... Activision Blizzard uh, to gain a little bit of pause momentum after, well, frankly, a lot of bad stuff. And Overwatch 2 hasn't been super great either. Let let me me put a little clarified note on here. For the developers of Activision Blizzard to get something, because... I'm mm. not saying that it's going to wash away all the harassment and everything. Bobby Kotick was getting on Variety and and just saying... "Ah, the, the, all these reports are overblown and frankly scandal. And then immediately after that, it's like, oh, 29 people over at yeah, Activision and- <laughs> Blizzard were dismissed because of harassment claims. Yeah, yeah. And then an internal report comes out and immediately contradicts that. Incredible. Yeah. Just wonderful timing. You know, Rake, uh, Sideshow Bob stepping directly on the rake. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to preface this with, I know there's been some talk about it that like, Obviously, there's all the stuff going on with Activision Blizzard, all the tensions that still exist at that company. And I I do feel for a lot of the devs who have worked really hard on this thing uh, to want to put something out amid all this and still have their success. So it is with the caveat, but also like we want to celebrate the thing that they made in spite of the the 
the hardships they might celebrate have gone through the to make thing it. they made while acknowledging that uh, things just have not exactly. been great and exactly uh, still kind of have a long way to go to get anywhere. And it has to start with Bobby Kotick resigning. It really does. He's got to go. Mm. That's the mm-hmm. he's like this the snakehead. That dude is. Uh, it's really impressive. Um, just how unrepentant he is. He's so repugnant. He does not care. Yeah. No, he does not. Oh, and... that reminds me. I need to make my cut of uh, Moneyball that removes him from that movie. <laughs> That's right. I didn't know if he's in that movie, but apparently he I is. I think he thinks he's the protagonist in that movie. Uh, I can he believe cast... he believes that. I think he. they're like, you're the owner. And he's like, yeah, that's right. I need to keep costs low on the Oakland A's. <laughs> he's just being himself. He's literally playing himself. But on, on said note, with, with that caveat, it does sound like Diablo 4 is really good and and exactly what actively is like needed from that thing uh which i'm happy for that that like i diablo 3 obviously had the most catastrophic launch they could never recover from even though reaper of souls came out and i played the console version just the bad launch it was that diablo 3 was just wrong-headed from the start the real money auction house the (laughs) the incredibly poorly integrated and considered in-game. And in hindsight, the art style was not great to go much more of the World of Warcraft kind yeah. of style versus the, the the Blizzard house style, you could say, versus the uh, Diablo's long canon and identity, and Diablo 3 big time got away from it. Now, at, at the end of the day, Diablo 3 did right the ship, and mm-hmm. Reaper of Souls was very good. And I went on many runs through it and had a great time. But I think that uh, Diablo 4 was a necessary next step for the series after Diablo 3. Yeah. And it from I have not played it yet, but from everyone who has been playing it that I've been talking to, they have been really enjoying their time with it, uh, really finding a lot to like here. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that 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 team has sort of found something, because like you said, also like Overwatch 2. I feel for those devs a lot right now, and it's got to just feel really dire over there. So to have something, some some dub to like get behind and, and feel really good about, that's that's got to rock. So, for sure. uh, what's everybody's class going to be in Diablo Four? If when and if you end up playing, I I haven't, I haven't really gone over the classes, so I'm not sure yet. I. I'm weird in that. So like Diablo three, I played demon hunter. I love demon hunter. Um, and Diablo two, I'd never played a lot of, but I did enjoy necro a lot in that. And so I was like, Oh, maybe Diablo four, I played necro, but everyone I know is playing necro. And I don't know if you've noticed this yet. I, I don't like playing the character that other people are playing. Maybe this is like the fighting game player in me that I don't like mirror matches, but like I need to play something different from what the rest of the team is playing. And so uh, I'm kind of looking at Druid. I, I'm, mm. you know, maybe from the D&D movie. I talked about this recently, but that's like, your class, I, Nadia. That's the pet class. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably well, like it. it. It's it's a pet class, but also you become the pets. Um, yeah. I, I wish I liked Barbarian more because I feel like Barbarian would be in my like play style. But uh, there's something about it that's just never. It's not with vibing me. with you. Yeah, it just doesn't. There's vibe part with of me, me that kind of wants to play as Barbarian. Uh, yeah. Just because I tend to go more melee than spell spellcasting for the yeah. most part, um, and there's something very appealing to me about a 
beefy character with a giant sword, right? So I, I like this. The, big the quick sweeping ones. cuts doing AOE damage. I love that. that. Dual wield. Mm-hmm. We we had this talk back when we were planning the D and D session that we did. But Cat, I a hundred percent think you are a paladin. Like you are a paladin mm-hmm. at heart. And then Nadia is a druid. And I guess I'm a bard. That that would probably be where I would end up. So yeah, well, I am happiest playing kind of a more of a support role. You know, mm-hmm. playing the offensive tank who can also heal, mm-hmm. be able to do mm-hmm. a lot of different things for the party. Is not a specialist. Which is to my detriment, unfortunately, because in a lot of these games, being a specialist is kind of the way to go rather than being a generalist. But mm. yeah, I guess I am a paladin at heart. Or a cleric. Maybe a cleric. Mace wielding no, cleric. Boring. No, I'm a, no. I'm a tank at heart sometimes, I think. Mm, mm. I do like doing deep. I, I do like DPS. DPS is fun, but I'm DPS never good my, at DPS. Yeah. No, I'm good at DPS. I'm good at tanking, but I'm scared to do it. Back in the day when I played um, Star Trek Online, I always played it as the big beefy galaxy class ships versus mm-hmm. the, the little Defiant class ships, which would, if you were playing as the Defiant, your job was to decloak next to one of those big beefy galaxy class ships and basically drop an outrageous amount of uh, damage, just phasers and torpedoes and all of that and blow them up in one shot and then cloak again. And I could never pull that off because the the, the button combinations and everything uh, that you had to do was uh, quite crazy. I just ended up dying a lot. So I much <laughs> prefer to circle at a high, very slowly at a high level over the battlefield, uh, just pushing the space bar, watching t- tons of phasers firing all over the place, um, and then periodically healing people. Much better. So. Mm. When, when I would play Shattered Galaxy, that MMORTS that doesn't exist anymore, I would play a certain like group of units that would sit on the point controls that you had to try and take and turn on active camo. So they blocked getting onto the point. And so you couldn't see them. You had to like use radar to detect them and actually take them out. But people couldn't walk onto the point to try and capture it because there'd just be this wall of big beefy dudes that they couldn't see. Uh, so I guess I just like trolling people in online games. I It's more fun for me when I make other people have less fun. That is what I have learned about <laughs> myself mean. playing multiplayer. That's games. horrible, yeah. Eric. I want everybody I to have fun. Then, no, I want I want them to have less fun than I'm having. Is that why Victor's always like you're always just fun. like making Victor's blood pressure go up? And uh, I just remember <laughs> us doing FF14 during the charity stream, and Mike, you did something. I don't know. You stood in AOE, and Mike, in his calmness, is like. Now, why did you do that, Eric? It's to get blown sky high. <laughs> no, it, was, it, was, it was the AOE. There was a laser coming through, and I was like, I bet I can tank this. <laughs> no, I could not tank this. You could not tank the death laser. Ladies and gentlemen, he could not tank that. <laughs> but I will be playing Diablo 4 uh, pretty soon. I haven't decided whether or not I'm playing it on PC or PS5. I'm, I'm leaning PC. But uh, thankfully, there's crossplay, so I don't have to really worry about it too much. On we get a little bit of a break, and then on June twenty second, another big one, another heavy hitter. Final Fantasy sixteen hits the PlayStation five, and this is a big moment. Um, there's been uh, Square Enix has been pushing this one extremely hard. They really want it to hit. Um, by all accounts, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be polished. Um, mm, mm-hmm. It looks like a dang good game. I don't know if it's a good Final Fantasy. I guess we'll see. And um, whether or not it will hit with mainstream audiences, I think has a lot to do with um, 
word of mouth. It's certainly uh, releasing in a very challenging time between Diablo 4 and Street Fighter 6. I think it's going to necessarily be struggle to break out from all of those, but it could ha- it could have a long tail over time, especially if it I I hate saying this, but I do think that it's really important for it to break like a 90 on Metacritic. If it does, if it's mm. that good, I think it actually has a good shot because people will be like, "Have you played Final Fantasy? This is like game of the year material." Yeah, yeah. I I think like there's we haven't talked enough about like how stacked this year is because we've already got Tears of the Kingdom. Jedi Survivor ended up being a really really solid game that a lot of people a are very really into. solid game, very um, B B material, B plus. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, some people are even putting it in A. Like, there were a lot of people like walking out of that game, being like, "No, that was actually really, really good." Um, and obviously, I like, don't it like was... the environmental puzzles. I'm just gonna keep harping on that's, this. That's fair. Um, You're not I, Breath of the Wild, my dudes. You're just not. Stop it. <laughs> I th- I think the challenge with 16 is going to be, um, obviously, like it's Final Fantasy 16. I don't think it has the problem of numbering that people pretend it does. I th- it's pretty easy to just be like, I mean, we have what Madden like NFL 23 and nobody is like, do I need to play tw- zero through 21 or whatever? <laughs> okay, I'm Madden so excited zero. for Madden 25 uh, because we've already had Madden 25. So it's like, what's mm-hmm. the numbering convention going to be? What are you going to do? We have been waiting for this moment for 10 years, just for that moment when they would cell phone with Madden 25. <laughs> um i I think with 16 the thing i'm most surprised to see is that you know i've done one preview for it i have also like uh you know talked to people who did the other preview that happened for it we have only really seen like a very early slice of this game they haven't really shown off more outside of that I feel like there is a large chunk of this game that we have not seen the same way with like tears of the kingdom when it came out they didn't talk about the depths at all in that lead up to tears of the kingdom they just let that kind of happen and so in the wake of that i've been very interested to see like okay 16 has shown a lot of the early hours that are going to be in that demo that they've talked about but haven't like set a release date for or anything yet but they have said there will be a demo um we've seen like the stuff i saw in the preview which is like the benedicta stuff um the garuda stuff but they haven't really shown any more than that, any other stuff than that. And so I'm curious to see, like, what does the full game look like? They've talked about these kind of open areas that aren't open world, but they're kind of like zones that you do things in. They've talked about side dungeons, side quests. They've talked about characters kind of going in and out of your party, but not necessarily like a party in the traditional sense, like you would have in a Final Fantasy. And I think there's just a lot about this game that is going to be cleared up by the reviews because they've been a little bit cagey on, on some of the stuff that's out there, even though they've shown a lot of this game. Um, I hear that uh, cracks about, uh, I love that tears of the kingdom has more character, has a bigger party than uh, final fantasy 16. LOL. Yeah. Are we, are we at the point where we can really like talk about that in tears of the kingdom? I wouldn't, but uh, I'll just let you, I'll let you decide what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, forward. it doesn't really mean anything. Party size is all in the context of what the game you're mm-hmm. playing. Yeah. Zelda, I'm just kind of yeah. Final I Fantasy, mean, especially Final Fantasy 16 is a freaking arcade mode, which is making me rub my my temples a little bit. But I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna... I have no. I have no. Absolutely no right to join in in any discussion of this sort when it was back in in 
in God knows when, 1990s, I was on a message board complaining about how Final Fantasy VII, quote unquote, was not Final Fantasy. So I can't sit here with my flat ass in this chair <laughs> saying, Final <laughs> Fantasy 16 is not Final Fantasy, because what the hell is Final Fantasy at this point? Just because it doesn't have, an, doesn't have an identity, Nadia. But that's okay. Dragon no, it's Quest not okay. Has an identi- Dragon <laughs> Quest has an identity. This is the game you go to if you want a game that knows what the hell it is, and it's a great RPG. Final Fantasy is the crazy kid who jumps off the fence and breaks his arm. Uh, mm-hmm. That goes into a pit. Final I Fantasy is the game that day, you go to yeah. if you want a game with no identity that just wants to follow all of the trends. You it has, don't know that it has an identity. I, I think, think that's overblowing The writing it. team on 16 had... 16 has a good writing team, and I know this because of 14. So I think we're going to have a – it's going to be pretty good. I see <laughs> – The, I think the 14 stands are ride and dying for 16. Yeah, I know. Um, but what are you going to do if it's not good? Okay, I move on and you know, life goes more, on. Play more play 14. 14. But, <laughs> but when's but, the next expansion? Cool, there we um, are. I, I do think Final Fantasy has an identity, though. It's, its identity is more like – contextual in a way like there's moogles there's chocobos there's the crystals there's the summons like it has mm-hmm. that stuff and like just the same way the dragon quest has slimes and dudes that look like goku like that's <laughs> lots of dudes that look like goku they all look yeah like yeah it's like there is an identity i think the interesting part is that they are trying to do kind of a witcher style game here you know you have yeah. like kind of one main character and he's He's moody and he walks around with the the big sword on his back and the sheath reminds me so much of like the Witcher having the two sheaths, uh, two swords, which is, by the way, immaculate character design. Geralt of Rivia, we don't shout it out enough, but um, it's it is that moment where it's like, okay, Final Fantasy is trying to do a thing that is obviously very popular and has been very popular, but can it can it do that thing? Can it stretch to be that kind of thing a uh an rpg that incorporates a lot of the cd project redness the um i'm trying to think of other games that does i mean even like god of war like there's a lot of god of war in that and explicitly wants to be god of war but with numbers bigger numbers yeah i think that that is maybe what i'm most interested to see how it pans out is like where does the rpg meet the action in all this and how do those systems push and pull on each other and is there friction or does it like you know coalesce into something that works uh i'm I'm very interested to see that i've been probably the most skeptical out of anybody of this uh, here on final fantasy 16 but i do want it to be successful and there's a actually a pretty strong percentage chance that i will pick this game up and absolutely end up loving it because i enjoy the spectacle uh it by all accounts it's absolutely freaking gorgeous and Mm -hmm. it has what seems like a great soundtrack i may end up really really loving this game and it may end up Mm -hmm. being very high up for me so i i am certainly reserving judgment um i'm kind of being snarky and awful please forgive me but um i will try and be super optimistic for it because in a month i may be sitting here going final fantasy Mm -hmm. 16 is incredible I can't I can't believe what they've accomplished with this game. So good luck. I'm gonna go back and say, now I'm gonna do Final Fantasy fourteen. No. Uh, (laughs) It'll happen. Nadia, you gotta let it happen naturally. We can't we gotta we gotta make Kat think it was her idea to get into fourteen, all right? Incepting it into my brain. We're incepting. (laughs) Well, let's run through a few more of these releases very quickly. 
uh, on June 27th, Story of Seasons, It's a Wonderful Life is coming out. Um, Jeremy Parrish has entered the chat. Um, the Legend of Heroes, Trails into Reverie arrives on Ju- July 7th. Stray Gods, the role-playing musical with tons of critical role voices will be out on August 3rd. WrestleQuest mm. will be out on That's August 8th. Armored Core 6 on August 25th and Sea of Stars on August 29th. Which of these, if any, stand out to you as an RPG that you're very excited about? Uh, let's see. I think Russell Quest looks really good, actually. I was going to say, Russell Quest I don't even is like wrestling, and that looks fun. They had a great ba- uh, they had a great booth at PAX. Like, everyone was yeah. crowded around it. I couldn't see shit. But yeah, they've like had fun. a pretty remarkable um, campaign. Over at PAX yeah. East, they had people, like, actually getting into the... It seemed like actual attendees just coming in and wrestling. Yeah. They they, they had, had, like, amateur wrestlers from local, like, outfits and stuff doing doing that stuff. Because uh, I was over there... I was over there demoing something else, and I I saw some of the wrestlers, like, getting ready and stuff and hanging out, and I was like, oh, okay. But I would say that, like, uh, Wonderful Life is obviously, like, considered one of the better Harvest Moon slash Story of Seasons games. Um, it I'm just glad that's got, like, a modern port they that people can play. They had actually a campaign for that, a Twitter campaign and a video Mm-hmm. Like a kind of a flip book. And it was really great. That, that one, that flip book video, the trailer for, for yeah. wonderful life. Go that look it up. Lovely. If you want to cry, just straight yeah, up. You'll if cry, you want to have sorry. a good cry. <laughs> yeah. It'll, it'll do it. Uh, but I'm weirdly into stray gods. I'm, I'm Me curious too. to see what it's doing because obviously it has a lot of like critical role voices. And because of, I hear role playing musical, I'm like, yes, tell me more. Yeah. It's the whole idea. They kind of outlined it in a recent stream is that, you play this character who is, if you like the the comic series, The Wicked and the Divine, it's kind of got those vibes where a character inherits, uh, amuses powers and gets caught up in the pantheons like drama and stuff and the murder mystery around who killed Calliope and all that. So the main character has to deal with all these different personas who are all voiced by incredible voice actors who are doing all the singing and, and Laura Bailey is the main voice. But you have like different, tones that you can take through the song that will not only change the lyrics and the music but also like in you know have that sort of mass effect like oh we're going on a different branch that might result in different outcomes of this dialogue and doing it all in musical form which i think is just really cool really interesting uh it's i don't know that i'm expecting the world of it but i am like looking forward to it as you know what what is this system is this an interesting narrative system and you know you talk about role playing as being like numbers and stats but it's also like literal role playing and i'm interested to see how it handles some of that stuff some of that narrative design around that so i i'm i'm curious if nothing else and it's got some talent behind it so hard not to pay attention i of course armored core 6 is not what i would call an rpg but it is being made by from software I am a longtime Armored Core fan going back to when I was in college and I was playing Armored Core 2 and Armored Core 3 in my dorm room. And I I just want to see what Armored Core looks like from modern from software because Armored Core 5 came out a long time ago at this point. And while Dark Souls had already come out by the time Armored Core 5 came out, it was a it was a very different experience, and uh, from software 
was a very different company at that time. So I think it's going to be see, interesting to see how Armored Core 6 ends up stacking up. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really like giant robots that you can customize uh, to the ends of the earth. I'm glad that they're making this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I think I've said it on here before, but someone described it to me as like, what if Gundam was made by the Gran Turismo developers? Nice. Mm. Like that, that level of like garage customization and mechanical complexity built into like building your robots and piloting them around. And even just that trailer where they're like, wake the dog up. And (laughs) I I'm already just vibing with the entire look and feel of that game. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, what is role playing if you're not building your own giant mech and and customizing it and then bring it onto the battlefield? So, yeah, truly. Um, and then there's Sea of Stars, which got a fair amount of hype when it was initially announced. I think there's less hype now, maybe because Chained, Ev- Chained Echoes stole a lot of a little bit of its hype. Are we excited for Sea of Stars? I am. Yeah, and it'll be coming out at like the end of that huge ass rush. So, uh, of course, I'll wait for reviews if they're at least like good I'll, I'll probably check it out sea of stars is a weird one for me where i think i was really excited for it at the jump um it's had some weird stuff obviously that studio had that weird situation with the the quote that they had in the messenger from a certain uh skeevy guy uh that kind of got addressed but not really and then like I played the demo and I remember playing it and being like, oh, this is really gorgeous. It's really cool. It's really interesting. But I'm just like not I'm not like fully vibing with it. It's not like immediately grabbing me in the way that like Chained Echoes did. I I do think that like Chained Echoes coming out did steal some of that Sea of Stars thunder for me. And so I I'm still curious to see what it is, but I think it is like I've tempered expectations for it is, is a good way of saying it. And finally, there's Legend of Heroes Trails into Reverie, which is coming out in on the PlayStation 4 and, and the Nintendo Switch and on PC and on the PlayStation 5 on July 7th. And it is obviously part of the Trails series. And it is considered the end of the series' Crossbell and Erebonia arcs and serves as a precursor to Kuro no Kiseki. And I'm going to level with you. Oh my gosh. I don't follow the Trails series that closely, as you can tell, because mm. there's a lot of them and there's a lot of game. There's uh, a to lot play. of politics. There's I a feel whole... so lost at this point. Oh my God. Yeah. So I, I demoed this, I think during PAX or something, but I was talking to someone about it and they were saying this is like the culmination of here is, uh, the all the different arcs like all the different characters that have been in the series up to this point so it's kind of like they're taking all the different arcs that have happened in trails and tying them all together to put one final note on it before they go into the next big like part and i was like that sounds cool that sounds great i bet people who have played all those games are really really excited about that seems great i know jack shit about any of this so yeah, thumbs Trails up, I guess. It's <laughs> definitely a project. Like, I am not getting near this game until it's time. And it's not going to be time for a while because I'm behind, like, on Trails by a lot. But there is so much lore. And it is, like, just this 
lovely political story that's so contained in itself and it's really well written. And three has trains. I love the trains in that game. Just so amazing. It has it's a very vibrant, very rich world that Falcom's been building for decades. So to see it all come to kind of a, an end is uh, it's pretty moving. But again, I won't be touching it until it's time and maybe when I'm 60. And then finally, there's Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, 1.0 is releasing on August 31st. And this is going to be a really interesting to watch because uh, it could be really big. Um, in some respects, it's a little bit niche. Um, it's almost like a, I mean, it's like Divinity Original Sin. Got a little bit of a Dragon uh, Age aspect to it, which of course itself drew a lot of inspiration from the Baldur's Gate uh, series. and. Will it be too uh, esoteric for mainstream audiences or will it really grab people? I think that uh, it's an open question. Certainly it's one of the most beautiful and well-produced games of this type that we've seen in a long time. Um, We've gotten games like Pillars of Eternity and such uh, in that kind of uh, classic isometric CRPG style but we haven't seen games like those on this level. So what do we think? Will Baldur's Gate 3 hit big when it comes out on August 31st? I think it has a good chance. I'm interested, and that is because mostly it is on console. It is coming to PS5, if I'm not mistaken. And that's what gets me to say, okay, you know what? It's about, I've been saying for years, it's time for me to get into Baldur's Gate. I like D&D. Uh, it always seemed like a really fun series to get into. I have friends who adore it, so I said, "Yeah, it's, it's I want to I want to play it." And it's on PS Five, so I am I am actually going to play it. How it will How will I like it? I think I think I'll like it, but we'll see. I I think this is like the perfect culmination of a lot of different things happening. Like Larian's star is on the rise for sure after Divinity Original Sin One and Two. D and D has exploded in yeah, popularity it's, it's huge now um also like even just using it, a more generalist thing like the idea of tactical combat like turn-based stuff as much as other people have said like oh you know i don't know if it's big or not like we we live in a post XCOM enemy unknown era where i think people at least might be able to grapple with that a bit more and also we live in a world where we don't know when the next dragon age is coming out. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. And uh, who knows when that happens, but all of that is combining. Plus like Larian is taking a lot of the lessons it learned from divinity and applying some of what I would say is that Bioware charm in that they are letting the camera pin down to these like face to face conversations that you have instead of like the top down stuff Yeah. and the character. Oh my God. The character designs of just the characters they have in there already are so good. And I do think the the early plot setup of you have a mind flare worm in your brain and you need to get it out is so good. It's such a uh, good early setup. Uh, I, I, it's it's uh, good. It's solid. Like, uh, oh, you want to get that out of there, right? Yeah. It's a bad idea. I don't want it in there. Um, I mean, I okay. I'm going to admit this is just a, a Cat Bailey thing. But mm-hmm. the... Starting out with the Star Trek II earwig going into your brain mm-hmm. uh, is just a lot for me. It really is. And um, oh. they they picked a... We'll see how this ends up going. They picked a really esoteric setting uh, for, for, their, for their Baldur's Gate game. Going with Spelljammer, basically. 
Um, mm. There's a lot of interesting things uh, going on with this one. Um, will it resonate with D&D fans who like, say, crit roll and more of a traditional flavor of D&D? I don't know. Mm. I guess we'll see. I don't know the difference, to be honest with you. I, I, well, they, to, well, to paint with a broad like brush. Airships and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I mean, like, so you only really have that airship stuff in the very, very beginning. And then you're kind of like on the ground and doing like a classic RPG adventure. You get caught up in the whole conflict between but the you druids have, like, the and the tieflings. And, oh, God. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, all the times that you can, like, maybe give that thing a little bit of, little bit of magical juice because it'll help you pass that check right like would you take that bargain with the devil and like there's there's lots of little good role-playing choices in Mm. bg3's early access that i've already really liked i think it helps that it has full-on animated cutscenes, fully voiced between all of your characters i think that's a Mm -hmm. big ingredient and and they've got some star power jk simmons is on to play one of the Uh, antagonists uh and his his voice lines that they, they published a video of him recording some monologue that that character does. And I was like, Oh, Oh, they should have been putting him in RPG stuff ages God ago. Damn, he's right. killing it. Yeah. Oh, like, he's great. Yeah. I, well, I admittedly am just a JK Simmons stand. If you can't tell, I just like Where are those pictures lot, of goblins. Yeah. He's, he's pictures. great in everything he's in. I love him, but um, it is, I, I think it is poised to do incredibly well. I also like, Larian's built up a lot of cred. Like I was saying, this is a, well, it's on consoles. I think it's also got a heavy install base of people who are excited about it on PC, who want to play it on PC. And those people are going to be the ones who do the word of mouth and spread it out to the people who are going to pick it up on console. So I do think this is going to be a word of mouth game, much like DOS two was, you know, divinity original sin two was that game that picked up steam year over year as more and more people were like, no, this is seriously one of like the best RPGs that's out right now. You got to play it. And so I, I have high hopes for Baldur's Gate three. Uh, I, I really yeah. hope it delivers because it, in a I hope year it's good on Goaties, steam deck. Ooh, see that's, that's the one place where I'm like that install size on steam is already massive. And I think I want like the high, the high def. I need Lazel in high def, you know, when she tells me that she is going to kill everyone in this encampment and then take her prize, I need that in high def, you know? <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3 will be out on August 31st. So as we prepare to wrap up our big RPG summer preview, tell me, what is your most anticipated RPG on this list? And what is a sleeper that people should be paying attention to? We'll start with you, Eric. Uh, my most anticipated is Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I really can't wait for that. I've I've said plenty of that already. Uh, my sleeper is uh, maybe I'll go with honestly Story of Seasons. I think that a lot of people forget that, you know, farming RPG hits and this is like a game that a lot of people love. And I would love to see this maybe not do Stardew Valley type numbers or anything like that, but it could at least be a reminder to the people that make farming RPGs these days that it's a really good setup and these things can be really, really excellent and maybe stop messing around with all the stuff that's made farming RPGs bad in the years since. (laughs) So uh, I would love, I would love to see that do well. How about you, Nadia? Uh, Well, first of all, I'm glad to see my PlayStation five will finally be getting a use outside of just playing final fantasy 14 because 
finally we have games that have graphics that are meant for the PS5. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that has me mm-hmm. pretty excited because I bought this monster. I may as well use it. Uh, so I'm probably looking forward to 16 the most. And I think actually Eric took my sleeper head because I was going to say the same thing. I feel like with all this jangling noise and like explosions and excitement, we forget that, well, there's still smaller games out there and we're going to need we're going to need them to kind of recuperate a bit. So I can see story of the seasons being kind of cozy. Mm-hmm. Russell Quest, too, I think, is, yeah, is I think one Russell that Quest Russell Quest yeah. is a great yeah. shout. Yeah. As for me, Final Fantasy 16 is my most anticipated. Um, is it an action game? I don't know, but I think it definitely actually fits pretty squarely into my interests at the moment. I think that as an RPG, it'll go down relatively easily. It looks absolutely freaking gorgeous. And I mean, I've finished most every Final Fantasy that's come out over the years. So uh, I want it to be good. I, I mean, Every time mm-hmm. I've watched a trailer, my interest has risen a bit more. The spectacle looks absolutely fantastic. And I do actually have a fair amount of faith that this team knows what it's doing. This seems like after the kind of the shit show that was 13 and 15, this seems to be the most professional and put together production I've seen of a Final Fantasy game in many, many mm. years. It so. has been a while. Like the job got done and apparently got done well. Like apparently there's not even a first day yeah. patch, which in this day and age is like, Oh, are you kidding me? They're very confident. And in this world, in this day and age when games are just being released as broken messes, especially post-pandemic, that's a really impressive feat. So um, uh, I've I've said a, a lot of mean things about Final Fantasy 16, but let's freaking go. I want to play this game right now. I'm feeling the anticipation in my heart. My uh, sleeper is Stray Gods, which um, I just like the the different vibe from it and i'm definitely going to be keeping it a close eye on it you, all you have to say is role-playing musical i'm like yes i'm paying attention because yeah that's music, pretty cool music I and rpgs uh... are intrinsically linked in my view yeah mm-hmm. all right that's our big rpg summer preview what is your most anticipated rpg what's your sleeper we want to know send me an email at cat dm me at the underscore catbot or drop a message on the mailbag channel over in our Discord. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Okay, it's time now for the Summer of Korra, our ongoing segment in which we talk about The Legend of Korra. We are in the middle of our watch right now. We just wrapped up book one last week. We are now into book two. We are six months into the future. Korra and Mako, the cop, are dating. Asami is running Future Industries, and Bolin is struggling to keep the fire ferrets alive. It gets absolutely rolled in episode uh, mm-hmm. one, I think. Mm-hmm. Episode one sees Korra and the team heading to the south where her father, chief of the southern tribe, clashes with his brother, Unalak, chief of the north. Spirits are attacking, and Korra thinks she knows best, rejecting Tenzin and taking Unalak as her new mentor. Episode two shows the team headed to the south pole where they brave the storm and reopen the spirit portal. And episodes three and four are about the looming civil war between the water tribes, the southern and northern water tribes. So we've gone from exploring the, the equalists and equalizing 
to exploring the the vibes of the water tribes, which got a fair amount of attention in Avatar: The Last Airbender. But now we're seeing the conflict between uh, the notion of a a tribe that has lost its uh, is more secular, has lost its sense of spirituality, versus the hardliners, the folks, yeah. who, the religious hardliners, shall we say? I I find this so to set up a little bit. It's no secret that Korra season two is kind of divisive to say the least. Um, it's going to do a lot of stuff, especially in the latter half of this season that people feel different ways about. Um, but one of the things I was really enjoying early on with this season is that you have the South, which we saw in last airbender ravaged by war. Like there's, yeah. there's barely any, of that tribe left and compared to the North where they have this big glorious city, right? Like they still have their gates. They're still holding out against the fire nation. The South is basically just prey for, for pirate ships at this point. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see the conflict between those two grow and how it's grown over the past, you know, 60 years. I think it's been since the, the end of last airbender, um, how you know, one tribe went one way, another tribe went another way and how that was informed by the war and how that has grown over time. Uh, I do feel a whole lot of ways about Unalak and I think he is the most divisive and definitely maybe my least favorite of the core of villains because what? I'm sorry. Unalak's that, a villain? That, what? That, that dude, that dude walks on screen and oh there might as well God. be like Dracula music playing like Nosferatu <laughs> style <laughs> stuff. Eric, I thought that he just wanted to train Korra. Like she's it, found it, a teacher who can finally unlock her potential. It would have been perfect if he had the evil person. Beard. Look, I noticed his the, brother has the evil person. The beard. northern military is just here to provide stability for the south. They're Look, wayward the south and they need way. help. Mm -hmm. That's a mm -hmm. lot of yeah. that's a lot they of They need steel to rediscover their spirituality. And we should really listen to our cop boyfriend who's going to tell <laughs> us so much about how the, the state is good. Okay. I was hard on Sokka in uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, but he's so much better than this freaking chump. Holy Look, cow. Ma Ma Mako, Mako's a bit of a fuckboy, all right? Mako... Uh... Sakura's like going to her boyfriend for support. She's like, Mako, I'm going through a lot of things right now. I need emotional support. Oh, I don't know. I'll support you in anything you do. And Korra's just like, what the hell? Like, he's mm -hmm. the definition mm -hmm. of the emotionally arrested... The emotionally stunted boyfriend who has mm -hmm. literally nothing to say. I, I, yeah. I don't even date guys and I'm feeling PTSD about this. <laughs> I I love like I relate so much to Bolin in this show. It's not even funny, but Bolin's whole arc of like being attracted to um, I think it was Desna or Eska, one of the twins. Yeah. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, by the way, um, which I mean. I will protect you, little turtle duck. That's Aubrey yeah, it's, it's Plaza. Aubrey Pla That's Aubrey Plaza. Oh my god. Uh huh. Uh huh. In in perfect casting. Um, and like relatable Bolin, but <laughs> Bolin gets so in over his head and does not know how to get out. And it's, she gets all the best lines in like the first four episodes. Like I am not hunting yeah. you presently or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, um, the the part where he's like, I need to break up with her, and and she's like, I I know, I feel the distance growing, which means I that marriage the is the only option. Growing between us, <laughs> that it's cannot be crossed. He's like, yeah. okay, great, and then she freaking collars him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. uh, the 
the the writer's barely disguised fetish right they're there. They're like, anyway, we we're really into kink, and we're just gonna work this into the show in any way possible. <laughs> Nickelodeon. Oh my god. Yeah, no this the show like it. This is where it starts to get a little bit more fun i guess where it like has these moments where it's like we should we should do some wacky stuff because we're also talking about they just like decided that a Bolin civil war comic relief yeah yeah and bolin will kind of continue to fill that role more or less uh, as the show goes on but i i love him for it and i think his character development is fantastic as we go through the show but um yeah, we also have Varric, who uh, ends up playing a pretty big role, and I think really symbolizes the difference between the Northern Tribe and the Southern Tribe. Then the Northern Tribe, you have your spiritual leader, Unalak. And while Korra's dad is kind of a leader in the South, you get the sense that Varric is the one pulling a lot of the strings, right? Like he's the money man in the South. Yeah. That is this this capitalist uh, like entrepreneur, CEO that just has, you know, he's got Julie going around like, do the thing, do yeah. the thing. <laughs> And he's secretly financing like all these different things around the South. Um, Varric is, is a lot of fun. He's I, uh, the one who's uh, stuck in the platypus bear, right? Yeah. He's the one who hides in the platypus bear. Uh, <laughs> with Julie. I just want great. a random screen cap of that to be shown to anybody. Just be like, try to figure out what's going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My husband's a big fan of him. He's like, he says, he reminds me of Tony Stark, like without the Iron Man, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely supposed to be that like eccentric billionaire type character. Um who who gets who gets interesting. He gets interesting. Um but yeah, how do we feel about just kind of this setup? Because we were talking about this before the pod, but this is kind of the point I think where Cora season one feels very self contained. It feels very like you get a a kind of one shot of Cora coming into her own as the avatar and now book two it kind of feels like there's more of a setup going on like there are there are grander schemes deeper lore and and cora is now like cora is the avatar like cora has all four elements cora is perceived as a political power yeah on a scale that ang never really was right like ang was always kind of on the run the rebel the outcast cora is this political face that is being used as a pawn in all the machinations between Unalak and the South. And do we feel like that's working? Do you, are, are y'all enjoying that aspect of Korra? I sure. think it went uh, <laughs> uh, a bit too fast. Like, boy, yeah, they really Korra, they went fast, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Korra comes off as a bit of a brat. And I understand that because she has to do, she has to grow. She has to develop. Right. Mm-hmm. But they really pack it in there for a couple of episodes. And she realizes, oh, no, it all went terribly wrong. And it's like, yeah, of course it went wrong. So I kind of want to sympathize her with her more, but I'm not. And I know it'll probably change because she's finally getting her head out of her ass. But yeah, it was just kind of a, a very like uh, what is going on? Why is this moving so fast episode? And I just kind of don't really buy the whole uh, you know, expelled from the tribe and, oh no, your brother set you up. And then, you know, that's to, it just, you know, it could have been a little more fleshed out, but it, it wasn't, but I understand mm-hmm. why that had to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has Aubrey Plaza flying across the water, mascara that's running true. in full <laughs> super Saiyan mode. It's, it's that's fun. Um, the, the the line that Varric has there, or like Bullen's like, can this boat outrun an angry waterbending X? And Varric's like, why do you think I built this thing? And then like slams the gas. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of vibing uh, at the moment. I I enjoyed it. Um, y- yes, 
the core conflict was set up very hastily. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's another interesting aspect, uh, in, in another interesting look into uh, bending the world building and everything. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoyed meeting uh, Varric, the eccentric billionaire, um, who is into movie making and mm. everything. Uh, the I movers. Think that's a fun aspect of setting the show essentially in the 1920s, but a very heightened version of that. I will have to. I will say that the water tribes have typically been my my least favorite mm. aspect of uh, of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Like I think the air, the Earthbenders and the the Fire Nation is more interesting. Nah, the Waterbenders overall. are the best. Waterbenders so? number one. It, so you like their society, you like the South Pole stuff. I just like yeah. The moon rules, number one. Like, I like water. I like the moon. I like all that moon like, association. <laughs> Who did this to my freaking car? <laughs> Such a great bit. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think the waterbenders themselves are super cool. I mean, with the ice and being able to bloodbend and their connections to the moon and everything. I think they're more visually interesting than the, the firebenders or the, the earthbenders for the most part. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm just I'm speaking strictly about their society. <laughs> I think what I really liked best about what we watched was the whole thing with Aang and his siblings. Like that was, uh, yeah, that was a big grown-up energy. So that is also an aspect of this. Like at this point in the series, you've already seen it with like Tenzin, Boomy, and Kaya. That like it starts to go. What if Aang wasn't a good dad? Straight up, like what if Aang was not that great of a father, or what if Aang like did play favorites because there was one Airbender child, and then. Kaya was a waterbender and Boomy couldn't bend at all. And what if Aang knowingly or unknowingly did end up being this father that played favorites with the airbender child? And like, I think that has rubbed some people some different ways, because obviously you take this character that you love from a children's show who you grew up with, who you have a lot of love for. And then you, you start the next series and you go like, Hey, what if he wasn't a good dad? Yeah. <laughs> and hey, you know, and that guy like, you like, no, you can't do that to my precious Aang. But I, I think that's why I like Korra so much is because it's willing to engage with the idea that humans are flawed and humans have like everybody has things that make them fallible and that nothing is pristine. And every one of these characters that you might have loved from The Last Airbender and had their own personal problems, those are going to manifest as they grow older and they might struggle with them. And that doesn't make them less of a character. That doesn't make them less interesting or less lovable. It just, it, it makes them more relatable to me that they are people that have shortcomings. Yeah. I do sure. like the idea of Aang being a bad dad. Cause of course he was an avatar trap very busy traveling around the mm -hmm. world had a large family i'm sure that he left a lot of the racing the actual kids to katara mm -hmm. i'm sure that he was vaguely disappointed in boomy for not being a bender uh probably couldn't relate to him at all knowing ang mm -hmm. yeah. and uh yeah so you, you're definitely seeing that in how the i can see him being like you know yeah like they it's not like they were unloved it was just like something was missing because ang was favoring the airbender mm-hmm but Tenzin himself is a little messed up too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he was doted upon. He and he was like the the weight of the Airbender Nation was put on his shoulders from birth. So like, okay, Tenzin, I really do have get married and have kids so that we can mm -hmm. uh, repopulate the Airbenders. 
Yeah. Have you noticed how many kids Tenzin has? He has a lot of kids. His wife like, is young. And he yeah. seems very, and Tenzin seems very stressed out about this as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, he seems fairly, fairly like, okay, I've got three kids. One's this horrible goblin kid. And then these two girls who are like extremely aggressive and I don't know what to do with them. And I'm exhausted all the time, but I have to do mm-hmm. this. Oh God. Oh, and mm-hmm. by the way, there's another baby. Actually, I think Tenzin's my favorite character. He's the Iroh of uh, of Legend of Korra so far. He's he's the Iroh, but I as as much as I I think he's Iroh in like season two when we get like more of Iroh's past and and learn that like Iroh himself was like people love to put Iroh on a pedestal and like dude's also a war criminal like he did bad stuff but he changed and improved and and tried to do better. better. Yeah. And and that is like, I think that's the thing some people f- forget going from last Air- airbender to Korra is that like, we are going to interrogate these characters flaws and we're going to talk about them. And it might be uncomfortable because, Oh, I'm, I love Ang. Ang's the best. Or, or I love, you know, other characters. We've seen that Toph also not a good mom, <laughs> like yeah. possibly a bad mom. Toph's um, a cop. Yeah. And, Heartbreaking. And, yeah, and I, I think all of that is like super interesting and I I like that they explore it and dive into it. So yeah. Well, season two. It's gonna be an interesting ride. I'm really excited for this next week's batch of episodes. Mm. There's there's a two parter that is like very, very, very well remembered from this entire series, so I'm Are you ever not week. excited for the next batch of episodes, Eric? No, because this is great. I this love this. We show. got here. My goal. Show. My goal like in all of this. If I were forcing you all to watch Babylon 5, I'd be like, this next batch of episodes is, an, mm. is iconic. And you'd be like, no, okay. You, you, don't, you don't understand. My evil plan from the beginning was to make you, Cat Bailey, watch The Legend of Korra. And I have succeeded. I, I am winning now. And I'm just taking my victory lap as we watch through this entire series. Well, much like Unalak, your plan was quite transparent from the beginning. So congratulations. <laughs> but it still worked. It did. It did. <laughs> but where's the gay stuff? I don't see it yet. Is she going to break up with Mako? Come on. All right. That's it for this week's Summer of Korra segment. Look forward this week to our book one wrap up, which is coming out on our Patreon feed. Patreon.com slash pod. All right, Nadia. Take us home. Well, it's June, and it is Pride Month. Yay! Yay. Happy Pride, everyone. Happy Safe Pride. Happy and Pride. I give, happy Pride, and I want to give a shout-out to... Safe Pride? Wait a minute. Why are you couching like that? <laughs> I mean, have you not noticed how there's a lot of violence being instigated oh. against... Oh, no. I thought you meant that, like, we were going to get dangerous because it was pride. Like, we're going to go start. Oh, like, we're really going to go. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna up your Let's get dangerous. <laughs> Let's get this pride started, motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, I did want to give a, a shout out to uh, all the queer fanfic writers. And here's why. When I started writing fanfic in 1995, this was the strangest thing to me because fanfic started as like a way to an excuse to get Spock and Captain Kirk to kiss. That was like it's a big part of it back in the 60s, 70s. Uh, but when I started writing fan fiction in 1995, it's like everything was so chaste. And actually, it was a lot of guys writing. I didn't meet many girls who wrote. And this was mostly the Mega Man community. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my shirt. And the Sonic community. So everything was very 
it, it was strange. It was more like everything was chase. Everything was very action-based. And it was like, you know, if, it, if the topic even came up, it was like, robots having sex? Are you crazy? Like, that would, <laughs> that would never work. And I, uh, oh, oh, how far we have come, so Yoko Taro rubbing hands together in the background. <laughs> Yoko Taro's like, <laughs> let me tell you about Tubi. But, um... So at some point, yeah, it got like a lot more uh, queer friendly. I think it's actually really great. And we've kind of like opened up the floodgates and God knows I've joined in the the revelry, I suppose you could call it. Uh, it it kind of ties into the something revelry. I've noticed. Like, Kat, when you were younger, like, did anyone in your high school ever identify or come out as as gay? Because when I was in high school. Yeah, me. Were you the only <laughs> one? Like, I, I know you did, but like. No, um, a very good friend. Of, my best friend in high school was the only out and gay lady um, in our entire high school. I mean, I, exactly. Yeah, I, I grew up in a very conservative neighborhood in Minnesota and went to a very conservative high school in what was, you know, the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend Emily, she, she had a hard time. Yeah, um, of course. Truthfully. And um but I, I, I always admired um, how out she was. And we worked together to start a gay straight alliance. Um, oh, nice. And we had a lot of allies coming in and being like, oh, the theater kids joined in. We're like, heck yeah, of let's course. go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then I uh, got lines. shut down for being too militant. <laughs> they said gay only support group. No straights allowed because they were afraid of their kids being recruited or something. No, fucking hell. Yeah. But uh. Uh, it was not, I was not as out, but um, I was a very good ally at the time. It was like in my high school, uh, I went to high school a little before you. So a lot, even a lot changed in those couple of years because I went to a very liberal high school and nobody, mm. like there was one kid who came out as gay and it's just something people didn't do. So I'm glad now that despite all the noise and the, the everything going on, people are talking about it. And that's a huge thing. Like, no, I know that. There's a being lot... gay is passe. It's all about being trans now. Mm. I guess uh, I don't know. You can be both. Can you be both? I don't see why not. Yes, you can be yeah. both. Yes, yeah, Nadia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not an either or. Well, just it's the way just you made like, it sound. I think you made that it sound like an either or. You made it, it's like, oh, now the hit things be trans. It's like, well, I mean, there's still gay people out there. I don't know. Not, that was awkward. It, it's not the case for every place in plenty of states and in plenty of communities is still incredibly dangerous to be oh, out as gay um but there is kind of a feeling that i've gotten as you come out as when i came out when in the late 90s it was like wow gay holy cow that's a huge deal and now it's like yeah congratulations you're gay oh i see yeah <laughs> um Whereas I think coming out as trans is maybe a bit more of a big, bigger deal these days. And being a trans, being trans in the late '90s, nobody even knew what the heck being trans was. You know how I learned time. what trans was from Rent. I had, to, I hate to say it, you can drag me all you like, wow. but it's true. Angel was the first instance I really, mm. really realized, oh. like, okay, this character is masculine, but calling themselves a woman, it's like, oh, okay, I guess why not? It, she I, killed that I mean, dog, though. I don't, I don't think that, oh, oh, Angel definitely killed that dog, but um, I don't think that's a unique situation. I think Rent, regardless mm. of what you think of the musical Rent, and we could do a podcast about <laughs> Let's that. Let's do a podcast but, about Rent, please. Oh, oh. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but that was like a lot of people's exposure to this, especially like where I grew up, it was definitely 
a thing that was talked about, but I, I was laughing because I saw Mango Oltz in the Stars of Destiny chat just said, there's nobody out in my year at school. And six months after we all went to college, like nine people had come out. Exactly. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I remember it being talked about. There being whispers, rumors. And then the second everybody went off to college, it was like, oh, yeah, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's I, I'm glad to see that at least more people are feeling comfortable being who they are in high school and god knows i never want to go back to high school i'm good couldn't god couldn't pay me to go back um i I can't imagine any of that today much less like with the internet incorporated into it oh god yeah could you imagine Um, navigating high school but now also you have to navigate social media I don't yeah. know how they do it. Yeah. Kids, yeah, like, that's crazy. kids are elastic bands. They stretch in all these weird ways. You know, like, you I say, know hey, how high many... school listeners, tell me all about what it's like. I'm, cu- I'm genuinely curious. I, look, I, high school listeners, you're going to say dumb stuff sometimes. And it is okay. You are supposed to. That is the time you're, a teenager. you're supposed to try and fail at a bunch of different things. It is your right to be stupid. Figure out how, who you are. My my whole thing with the internet is that like now you have to do that on a scale where everyone sees it and everyone can quote retweet it all around the internet and that is like I cannot imagine being in that space because yeah it's it it's got to be just terrifying. Um, anyways, um, yeah no I'm, I'm glad uh, that I, I at just... least like progress is made even if progress is is scary because we have stuff like what's happening in Florida well, and all there's that a backlash uh, mm-hmm. with every sense of progression there's always a reaction and yeah. the question is can you weather the reaction and keep the progression going or are you going to have progression rolled back and right now queer people are in the a big fight mm-hmm. um, violence is up um repression is up and it's not just for trans people lgbt people as a whole across the board are being targeted and if you're an ally you must support your queer friends and queer people have to be there for each other in this time it's only going to get worse over the next year um somebody was somebody was saying uh wow uh the blood god has the rainbow avatar on its discord um, and Twitter, like pretty much all year round. And I will say, well, uh, Acts of the Blood God, as far as I know, is like one of the very small handful of major gaming podcasts that's run by a queer lady. Um, mm-hmm. That's me. That's I, me. I'm gay. <laughs> I, uh, I've i had a partner, a female partner for 20 years now. And uh, I think that it's important to represent year round. So mm-hmm. I think so, Hell yeah. for sure. Yeah, and I mean, the reason we're having all this pushback is because people are fighting. They weren't fighting. There wouldn't be any pushback. So you just got to, as you said, Kat, that's a good way to put it, weather the storm. So uh, forge ahead, as they say mm-hmm. in yeah. Endwalker. And and we've been talking about it before, but we're going to be doing another one of our charity streams in July. I don't think we've nailed down the exact one yet, but we're looking at, at supporting Trans Lifeline again um, or, or one of the other. Support trans char- kids. Yeah, one of the other charities that can support a lot of the folks who need that help right now. Um, we we would like to do it in June, obviously because of Pride Month, but with SGF and all the games coming out and stuff, it is it often happening. very difficult on our schedules uh, yeah. and on, on guest schedules and stuff. So we move it to July because, frankly, we shouldn't need a month to uh, put this kind of support out there. Absolutely uh, not. As Kat so eloquently said, this is year-round for us. So, Trans uh, support trans kids trans mm-hmm. rights are human rights 
they need, if you know a trans person, be kind to them because it's a very stressful time. Um, and uh, do everything you can for your queer neighbors. And that's it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Thank you so much for your listening. I have been your host, Kat Bailey. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at CMUSI. And you can follow Acts of the Blood God on all the relevant channels at Blood God Pod. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Blood God Pod, where for just $1 a month, you can join our wonderful community over on Discord or you can listen to lots of bonus content for the higher tiers, including the Pantheon of the Blood God and Summer of Korra. We're heading now into our post show. We have been recording live for our Stars of Destiny. And this week we were joined by Abby of the Moon, Beware the Slimes, Drew RWX, JB, Kal-El, Mango Alts, MX, Beccas, and Spirus. Thanks to you all for joining us um, and not watching the Final Fantasy IV stream yeah, that takes strength i'm impressed <laughs> except for cal al who totally bailed on us uh being like oh my god i missed the game but, but that was funny <laughs> and thank you so much to moonblaze wolf who uh congratulations on your run through chained echoes on gdq you are the coolest thanks for joining us on the show uh we are heading now to the acts of the blood god post show which is ex- uh, available exclusively to our stars of destiny but for everybody else I've been your host, Kat Bailey, and for Nadia, Eric, myself, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring. 